Wow, what a setup, right? <laughs> By my own guy, too. Making me look bad. It's great to see you today. We want to gather around the table, right? Because no doubt in your life, uh, a lot of the things, or the way you thought, or the things you believed, or the values that you formed, or the opinions that you made, were probably no doubt helped along a lot of times as you sat around the family table, right? Eating dinner or supper, like, uh, you know, we had that whole supper for my family, eating supper, and um, you just, very formative time, even today, uh, as my family has gotten older and extended out, and we come together for holidays holidays, there's still a formation that happens around that table at Thanksgiving or, you know, that night, uh, Thursday night when you're eating leftovers, right? Uh, turkey again and all that stuff. And it's just so much is, is formed in our lives around the table. And so that's what we want to do. We want to have a conversation over these couple months about um, family and what can we learn, uh, what can we know from what the scriptures teach us about family. And so last week, we kind of set a foundation. We put a centerpiece down in the middle of the table. Um, these are core things. That, uh, if I want family to be as God designed it, fulfilling and life-giving and, and uh, encouraging, supporting, um, here's three things that I can make sure that are in play in my family. Things like uh, um, intentional. Families don't happen by accident. Good families don't happen by accident. I've got, it's not just I'm going to get married and we're just going to figure it out on the fly. And when we come to something, we're just going to deal with it. No, you're already ahead of it. You're already putting place, things into place. You're figuring out so you're ready when the time comes. Because when the time comes, there's going to be variables. There's going to be complexities. There's going to be things you didn't, I uh, wasn't aware of. But you have principles and values already intentionally in place for your family. Family. You're intentional. You're discerning. You're realizing that um, we are people who naturally serve something. We're serving something. We're worshiping something. We're following something. And our families will do the same thing. We're either we will either follow and serve the values of the world around us. And we'll think that our value comes because, you know, we did this or we were good at that. Or, and so we begin to serve those things, pour our time, energy, effort into all those things. And, and we, are, we, we look back and we're like, wow, that wasn't even really worth it, you know. Or we can be discerning and saying, you know what, these are what make a lasting, happy, fulfilling family kind of uh, dynamic. Um, and then biblical, obviously, uh, there at the uh, end, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So today I want to uh, kind of press on a little bit on some, some family things. And uh, it's called family feud for a reason, right? Um, because we all identify with that very quickly. Uh, you know, we come from different walks of life and different, uh, our families have a lot of different things, differences, right? Um, we could just sit here and name, yeah, well, my family's not like that or, you know, but I'll tell you one common thing that's in every family and it's common that we fuss and we fight. We fuss and we fight. Uh, it doesn't matter the dynamics of your families. You fuss and fight. It's just the way it is. Um, we live in a, a broken world. And out of that brokenness comes 
conflict. And this is only accented, highlighted, revealed when you try to put people together, sharing life, doing life together. Our brokenness is revealed greatly in the dynamic of a family. And so out of that, we have conflict. We have conflict in the world, obviously, but in our families, we all know what it is to have fussed and fought. I want to just make a statement. I want you to think about this statement when you leave. Um, I want you to kind of mull over this idea. When you win an argument in a family, you don't really win anything. You really don't win. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You can set out all the facts. Your point of view can be exactly right. You can debunk whatever they're trying to say. You can win. But honestly, you don't really win in the context of a family. In fact, I've heard that in a family context, the best defense is no defense. Um, And what I mean by that is because we do life together, um, you know, we don't really win when we argue and argue and argue. Um, You know, you can go to the, the conference room and you can have an argument and you can win. And it can pay off for you. You can go to the, the court courthouse and um, have an argument and have the best argument and win something out of that. And it can pay off for you. Do it in the boardroom, wherever. So often, arguments do win. But in the context of family, so often, arguments, you might have won the argument, but you've caused something else in the family atmosphere and structure and culture. And so family conflict is unique in so many ways. Now, I want to give you a bunch of stuff, okay? That's why the app is, is really good. You can, it's already down there. You don't have to write these down if you're not into that. If you want to get the app, pull up the app, the Bible app, the Version app, you can actually save that today's sermon so when it ends, you still have it and you're downloaded kind of, and so you can go back to this. But I'm going to give you a number of lists, a number of things talking about conflict and family. Um, I, I would just right up front remind you that there are three results that happen with conflict. Three results that happen with conflict. One, um, <clears throat> it blocks my fellowship to God or with God. The scriptures, there's a preponderance of scriptures that teach us this. I'll just grab one real fast. John, 1 John, John the apostle who wrote the epistle, uh, 1 John, says things like, how can you say you love God and hate your brother, hate your fellow man? It doesn't work that way. You can't be at war with somebody else and then look around and say, hey, but I love God. It doesn't work that way. And so conflict, quarreling, fighting, whatever you want to call it, it breaks our fellowship with God or blocks my fellowship with God. The second thing, it hinders our prayers. Now, for me, I really grabbed onto this about five or six years ago. I don't know why. I guess I read over this scripture, didn't pay enough attention to it. For whatever reason, it hit me right in the forehead about five or six years ago. Timothy makes the comment that in the context of, especially like husband and wives, 
husband and wives, if you are not in agreement or if you are in conflict, that it hinders your prayer life. It hinders your prayer life. And then I wondered why God never has, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That was only the first year of marriage for us, so. Man, you guys are quiet today. That was, that was supposed to be, we fought a lot our first year of marriage. But um, uh, it, it hinders your prayers. Uh, it's so important to God that you are in harmony you are unbroken, you are together connected, and there's not rifts or tears between you, that he says, listen, get on the same page because I'm not really interested in you coming to me, asking for things, seeking me about things, when you're not getting along with that person I've given you for a companion. Hinders your prayers. It um, hinders your happiness. Obviously, the scriptures share that we were created to be connected. That actually our greatest happiness comes in the context of community. Uh, You see this all the time. Uh, People who have everything the world could offer them. I've been able to spend some time around wealthy, wealthy people. Like, I mean, like, um, you know... Chump change is something that's like, whoa, you know. Um, wealthy people. Some of the most unhappy people. Because they're, 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 they're thinking that I've got this. This was supposed to make me happy. I've got this. This was supposed to make me And most of them have lived lives of complete uh, pursuit after that. And so it maybe means a lot of marriages. It, may, it means bad relationships with their kids. And they're so unhappy. And a lot of it was because... They, they're not connected. They're not in good relationships. They're not in harmony. Um, that's how we were created to be. And when we, when we have conflict, unresolved conflict, when these things are going on, it hinders our happiness. So with all that being said, I want to just give you six ways, six steps to resolving this conflict, okay? I know it's a list kind of Sunday, but trying to figure all this out, I thought, you know what? This might be more helpful in the long run if you share these steps and let them work through them at different times, then I just think it's, it's good. Let's just take a survey of what the scriptures talk to us about conflict and, um, and maybe we won't get into too many nitty-gritty stories or something today. But it's kind of one of those Sundays. It's a list Sunday. Can we call it that? But I want to share six steps about resolving conflict or fixing conflict or yeah, taking care of conflict in our families. This is general principles beyond our families, but especially for our families. One, first step is take the initiative. Take the initiative. Six steps to resolve conflict. One, take the initiative. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're standing before the altar in the temple, giving an offering to God, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, you leave your offering there beside the altar, and go at once, and you first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. Take the initiative. Now, he didn't say, if you have wronged somebody, go make it right. Well, that's right. But he said, if someone has something against you, 
they might have actually caused the start of the conflict. He says that this whole way to stop this whole cycle of just fighting and quarreling that this world is full of, the Christ followers approach is, you know what? I don't care if it's your fault or my fault. We're going to take the initiative. We're going to try to, we're going to try to resolve it, right? Take the initiative. There, <laughs> no conflict has ever been resolved accidentally. And you know what? I, I've used a statement for years about things and I've had to really think about it uh, and realize that there were probably times I misused this statement because, yeah, it might, have, it might have some validity in certain circumstances, but definitely not in conflict. Time does not heal conflicts. Time, you know, we say time heals all wounds. Time does not heal conflicts. You've seen this probably in your family. Somebody got crossed up. Uh, and for some of you might be thinking, yeah, it was 15 years ago. And they never took the initiative. They never tried to resolve it. They just thought, well, maybe we'll ignore it. Or maybe we'll sweep it under the rug. Maybe it'll just go away. And you know as well as I do, maybe you have a mom or an aunt that it's never went away. And maybe it's unspoken about, but what's happened in our, what happens in our heart with conflict, if it's not resolved, if it's not dealt with, is it starts this whole, what I call, a cancer to the soul. There's different cancers to the soul. Just as there's different kinds of cancer to our body, there's cancers to our soul. That just as those cells, those malignant cells begin to do damaging things to our body and can destroy our body, so this cancer of the soul begins to eat away at our soul and damage and kill it. And that is this word bitterness. It is a cancer to the soul. And what happens is, is conflict that no one's taken the initiative. No one said, you know what? This might be hard. This might be uneasy. It might be uncomfortable. We got to deal with this. They've not done it. It doesn't go away. It just gets buried. And unfortunately, what happens in our hearts so often is we grow bitterness. We have, I don't know if you can grow bitterness. You can have bitterness in your heart that just begins to consume you. And so scripture says, hey, in your family dynamics with conflict, deal with it. Now we're scared of that, right? We've always feared that. We kind of fear confrontation. And so often we allow conflict to go unresolved because we fear confrontation. Just like Adam in the garden, right? We get to see it right up front. Um, him, and, him and Eve sin. They, they violate God's one rule. Uh, that's another sermon, right? And um, he comes to spend time with them, right? And they realize, uh-oh, <laughs> we've messed up. We've, conf- we have, we've, we've broken, we've broken the relationship. We've torn it. There's been, there's a conflict here. And what do they do? They run and hide, right? They avoid it. They don't want to, they just, let's just ignore it. Let's get out of the way. Let's, let's not deal with it. We've always been doing that. So often too, I think in our own lives, that when we do this, it just, it just gives the ability for things like these words to just breed into our attitudes. Like we get defensive a lot easier. Get a lot more defensive. We get distant, right? We get more distant. 
Um, you ever had your, I'm thinking of marriage relationship, you know, you've had, you've had a conflict and um, you've just been disagreeing about something. And, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe, you know, Colby's trying to jump off the roof or um, right now, Selah loves to throw things in the toilet. So don't bring anything valuable to our house right now and leave it. Uh, she can grab the one lower counter and uh, I walked in the bathroom the other day and she, the door had been left open. We're trying to be, you know, leave the door closed. She had thrown one of her dolls in the toilet. A little disturbing. You go to go to the bathroom and there's a doll, you know, floating. <clears throat> but, you know, you're in the middle of, you're in the middle of a disagreement. That comes up. You got to take care of it. A lot of times it's easy. Or life, the busyness of life. You've started, uh, you, you started conflicting about something, maybe with your children. And then, hey, you got to go. Practice is at six. And so often we just kind of then let it slide. And we let it go. And it goes unresolved. But it doesn't go unresolved. And it begins to build in our, in our, in our attitudes, and our relationship, things like defensive or distant or demanding. D- different things that come in. Scripture says, hey, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Fix it. Don't let it go unresolved. I think most of us see the wisdom in that, right? Probably from experience. And I would just, I would just encourage you, do that. It might be a hard conversation. Probably will be an uncomfortable conversation. But you will be so much better off for having done your part and taking care of it, trying to take care of it. Obviously, the scripture says if, if the other person just is unagreeable or is disagreeable and, well, you can only do so much, right? You can't be them, and, and, but do your, your part. Take the initiative. Second thing is confess my part of the conflict. Matthew 7, we talked about this a few months ago. You know, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? Take the wood out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the dust out of your other eye, your friend's eye. You know, this is the crucial part, I believe, in helping conflict to not take root in our family's life and become a major player in circumventing God's design of life-giving family, of encouraging, supporting, fulfilling family, right? That's why God kind of created this unit. Um, And what blocks it so often is conflict. And I think the number one piece in this, I'm going to finish with another scripture about this, is so often we struggle to own our junk in the conflict. We struggle to own it. Um, What Jesus is saying too, what the scriptures tell us is they might be 85. If we're going to use percentages, we like to do percentages for some reason. We're a numbers society. We really are. American culture is very, but okay, so they're 85% in the wrong and I'm 15. Okay, I'll own a little bit of it, but it's not very much. He said in conflict, make sure you own it. You lead with you know what? I'm sorry about this. I own my part. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
And this so often is where things break down. You know, the, the number one reason for divorce in America is two words. You already know what those two words, aren't you? You know what they are because you've read them in the paper so many times or you've seen it on the news. Somebody just said it. Irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable, I don't feel like I'm saying that word right, differences. Rick Warren, I like what he says about this. He's pretty strong about this. He said, it's a myth. It's just two people who refuse to grow up. Or maybe sometimes it's one person that refuses to grow up. You know, you can do your best. But that shouldn't be a, hey, should never be a, a part of conflict where you're not willing to say, okay, hey, I acknowledge I'm not perfect. And yeah, that wasn't a good judgment call. That wasn't the right attitude. This wasn't considerate. This was ungrateful. This was oversensitive or insensitive. Whatever it is, be willing to own your stuff. And if you do that, <laughs> boy, conflict can be resolved. Uh, it can be taken care of. Third is consider their perspective. Consider their perspective. Philippians chapter 2, each of you should not look only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. My wife is the person that in my life has helped me with this tremendously. Um, probably haven't had a chance yet. It's just, you know, been early here. But um, my wife is, is pure sweetness, Okay. She is, and, and I'm telling you, that's at home too, uh, most of the time. No, <laughs> she's not here today, so I can say whatever I want. Just make sure she doesn't watch it later, but um, she really is. I mean, as her heart, and one thing I think why, and what she's taught me, this biblical principle, is I'll get fired up about something, or I'll get frustrated. And you know what she's consistently always told me from day one? Before you go firing off about something, have you considered their point of view? Have you put yourself in their shoes and thought about, to the best of your ability, where they're coming from? Now, I got to admit, that didn't change my opinion sometimes. It doesn't. But doing that helps me tremendously into at least starting to try to understand why did they say that? Why did they do that? Why do they act that way? Consider their perspective. I'll tell you what, it mellows the fire in your soul when you begin to develop. She's been great with that with me and um, it's helped me. Consider your, their perspective. You might come back and say, I still don't get it. And they're totally wrong. But at least I've tried to put myself in there. And in doing so, it, it creates a humility in your heart. It really does. It says, you know what? I'm at least trying to figure out where they're coming from. I care about them. I want to see what, what, what is it. So consider their perspective. Four is tell the truth tactfully. <laughs> if, you haven't, if you haven't experienced this yet, what they say about communication is so true. Only uh, like less than half of communication is the actual words we say. 
A lot of it is tone, body language, all that stuff. That's why it says, speak the truth in love. It's really trying to help us to grab a hold of those two words, in love. Tell the truth tactfully. You might be dead right. Your position might be exactly what your family needs. And the other person is, is out in left field. I mean, it, but you, in the way that you approach it, the tone you take, tell the truth tactfully. Proverbs says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Boy, I need to read that verse a good number of times. Just kind of my personality, I'm kind of just, you know. And with my kids, I've learned this principle. I, I'm doing exactly what they needed to, to hear. Um, it's exactly what needs to happen in our family. Um, it's the behaviors that create a fulfilling family dynamic. But my words have sometimes been reckless. And I realize I pierced their heart like a sword. And I didn't bring healing. And that's important. Tell the truth tactfully. Um, Ephesians, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. The kind that build up and provide what is needed. Okay, five and six. I like five and six a lot. Five is fix the problem and not the blame. <laughs> Fix the problem and not the blame. If you're like me, maybe you're realizing you're not, but sometimes, okay, I'll use my wife for an example. We start to disagree about something. Um, we just, you know, are disagreeing. And then somehow something comes in like, you always, or you never. And all of a sudden, it's normally she's probably, or, you know, you feel personally attacked or blamed. And then all of a sudden, the whole deal switches to, now you start to throw grenades at each other, right? Oh, come on, you do. <laughs> Even like, grenades like you shouldn't throw like you never you always or you're just like your father type grenades don't do that and then all of a sudden it becomes a blame game and what we try to then fix is the blame game and yet we never fix the original point of conflict fix the problem I like blame is how you spell blame is this way, not B-L-A-M-E, or A-M-E, it's be lame. Blaming is being lame. You start down that road of the blame game, you're never going to fix what caused you to get torn. Don't go down that road, don't fix blame, don't fix the problem. And the seventh one is focus on reconciliation, not resolution. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about resolving, 
resolving conflict. But I think there's something that goes beyond just resolving the matters. And that is the relationship. Focus on reconciliation. Remember 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are ambassadors of God. God is reconciling the world to himself and we now are his ambassadors of reconciliation. We are about fixed, repaired, restored, reconnected relationships. And in our conflict, we care about sensing, having that harmony with one another again, that connectedness with one another again. It's not enough to just say, okay, you said this, I said that, I'm sorry, you're sorry, or I just still, you know, you're probably not going to disagree, you're not probably, you probably maybe will come to a point in conflict where you don't all, you don't ever come quite to seeing the same. But I like this phrase. As long as you walk hand in hand, you don't always have to see eye to eye. Right? And that's what you're making sure that the relationship is repaired. Not every I is dot, every T is crossed. Like, okay, so now we resolved all this. We agree on everything. As long as you come to a point where you've buried the animosity, the personal disconnect that happens from conflict. Resolve, focus on that. Focus on reconciliation. It's 11.36. So I got four minutes, four minutes. But I wanted to just drop this one in on you because I think so often it should help us in this matter of conflict. James chapter four says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Oh, there we go. Conflict. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you know that they come from where? My wife never gets it. She's not the person I thought I was marrying. Uh, that's where all this comes. I fight because they are not. Is that what James says? They come from your desires that battle where? Within you. And I think going back to number two, confess your part of the conflict. I think that conflict is easily, well, I shouldn't say that word, scratch that word. Conflict can be resolved. It can stop blocking the fulfilling, encouraging, supporting design of God for our families if we begin to think that a lot of the time, part of the problem right now is I am not getting what I want. That drives the boat on so much of our conflict. And we need to be honest about that. I'm not getting what I want. That's why we always are fighting. I'm not getting what I want. He says, you got to understand that. Why do you fight? Why do you curl? Quarrel, because of this, this principle within us that so often causes us to be self-centered. And so, how do you fix that? Well, he keeps going. You desire, but you don't have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. And you don't have because you have not asked God. 
James is basically saying, hey, this is the reason. Make sure you understand that. It's not outside of you so often as much as is within you. Now, I realize, objection, objection. I mean, do you know who I'm married to? Do you know my family? I mean, it's kind of this, these kind of phrases. Um, <clears throat> you know, they never, they always, they promised, they should have done that. We promised, we agreed, they said this, we planned this, and they're totally reneging. I get all of that. The point is, how do you fix it? And the big deal is making sure that you understand what did I want out of it, and God help me to not put on them something that's not right. Now, we all have desires, wants, right, that are obviously the... the the desire for companionship, for connection, absolutely. But he says, listen, most of the time you fight and quarrel because you're not getting what you want. Pray about it. Before you conflict, pray. Pray. It's like this. In prayer, it gives me a perspective that I need to have. In prayer... Before I jump in and say, hey, you're not doing this. Oh, this needs to be fixed. Those are conversations that need to happen. We've all figured that out, right? We're trying to make this work. We're living uh, broken people, put together, doing life together. So there's, you know, but before I do that, pray. In prayer, I see my own motives and I am able to see my own desires. And in that, God helps me to see, is this out of whack? Is this, I mean, I, I've, I've thought about this. Sometimes we begin to see we're trying to get from our family something that they can't give. And so often we fight and quarrel because we're wanting something from them that they were never supposed to give us. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about? Like self-worth or other stuff that... God alone gives us that inherently he builds in us and we're trying to, and so we fight and quarrel because they're not, and we're mad about it, we're upset. In prayer, God begins to help us see our motives, things like that. Oh my goodness, it's 1141. In prayer, I am able to deal with what I want before I go and assess the situation. And so I simply leave you with this question. It's a challenging question. And maybe I shouldn't have, I maybe should have worded it different. But here it is. Who is suffering right now because you're not getting your way? I would rather rephrase that. Is there anybody in your family who is suffering right now because you are not getting your way? You see, James teaches us that is the source of our fighting and quarreling so often. And he says, you need to pray about it. You need to figure out what in the world is right and wrong here. You have natural desires of connection, but so often we run right by that and we get self-centered and that becomes the source of our conflict. Deal with that. Be mindful of that. Pray about that, then go out and take the initiative. Um, 
own your junk. Consider their perspective. Be tactful. Fix the problem. Don't blame the blame game. And make sure you are fixing that relationship you're reconciling, not just resolving things. If that can happen, I truly believe that one of the biggest log jams, blocks to the design of God for our families cannot be an issue. It stops being a blocker. It stops being a log jam. This, I, this issue of conflict. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we just come before you. This is a big subject. A lot of Sundays could be taken on it. Lord, we all deal with conflict. Not a one of us are immune. We've seen it go bad. We've seen it done well. Lord, we realize and believe that your scripture teaches us what we need to know. Lord, our families are a gift from you to be a support system for us, life-giving, a way that your word can flourish and we can experience the companionship, the connectedness, this deep fellowship that you've given to us inherently. And it's a way for your truth to be passed easily and thrive, Lord. And for us to enjoy life, uh, families are so, can be so, so incredible. And Lord, one of the biggest things is conflict gets in the way. How do we deal with that? Lord, from your word, we've tried to learn today. Help us to soak these things in. Help us to continue to put these into practice. Lord, we need a lot of help. We're going to probably try and fail in some of this stuff. But Lord, keep us moving toward what your plan is. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you. Have a great Sunday and a great week.